So, continuing our discussion of Sri Shikshastakam. As I mentioned, the first verse describes seven effects, successive effects of the chanting. And the effects correspond with uh, Rupa Goswami's basic outline of uh, progression, advancement in bhakti. So we talked yesterday of the second effect, Mahadavagani, Nirvapanam, extinguishing of the blazing fire of material existence. And as I mentioned, without going into detail, that uh, effect corresponds with the stage of nishta, where one's practice is uninterrupted. So there are two components, according to Srimad Bhagavatam, of Shuddha Bhakti. Sages wanted to know from Shonaka what the best occupation for human society was, what was the best way in which human beings could spend their time. And of course he gave an elaborate explanation, but perhaps the central verse to that explanation of many verses is Savai Pumsa Parodharmo Yato Bhakti Rilhoksajay Ahoyituki Aprachihata Yayatma Samprasidati. So he said that devotion to Adhoksaja, which is a name for Krishna, it has two components, he said. Ahoyituki Aprachihata Yayatma Samprasidati. This will fully satisfy the self. It may mean the individual self, so you're happy in your engagement and the Supreme Self, which is upon whom satisfying, we become satisfied. So, ahaituki and apratihata. Apratihata means uninterrupted, unbroken. So, bhakti that is unbroken. Before we come to the state of nishta, our practice may be interrupted by our desire, the other desires that we have. So, it cannot really be uninterrupted as the principal desires that distract us are retired, then even though there may be seeds for desires, because the principal impediments have been removed, the practice can be steady, mishta, and uninterrupted, and continued engagement like this, uninterrupted engagement, then doesn't allow those seeds, if you will, to fructify. And once they then are inhibited from fructifying and no longer have the potential to do so and are extinguished, then that bhakti becomes not only apratihata or uninterrupted, but what? Ahaituki, unmotivated. In other words, there are no longer any desires. So this nishta involves a practice that is focused and that watches and is aware of those desires and very carefully uh, the practitioner conducts oneself in such a way that, that they will not come to the surface. But once they are eradicated, then ahaituki. So this is the next stage. Mahabrabhu describes it here in the first verse of Shikshastakam with the words, Shreya Kairava Chandrika Vitaranam. 
very poetic. This speaks of ahoytuki, unmotivated devotion. So we've arrived here at shuddha bhakti, pure devotion. We arrive in one sense at shuddha bhakti when we have faith in bhakti and thus become eligible to tread the path of bhakti. And faith in bhakti means that it's unbelievable or it's hard to believe and accept as it is that simply by depending on Krishna one's life can become perfect, which is very simple. It's almost so simple it's hard to relate to. Like yoga is a much more sophisticated, developed uh, path and jnana requires so much uh, learning and and so forth. And any common person can chant Hare Krishna and become perfect, uh, for example. It's, it's a little hard to, for people to believe. And of course, a lot of people as we talked about last night, they, they appear to be doing that and don't get the results, so that doesn't help. <laughs> but as much as uh, faith is the beginning and, and is one eligibility, and to tread the path of Shuddha Bhakti, in other words, to pursue Bhakti without any other motive, still one has other motives. So when that Shraddha becomes mature, Shraddha is faith, and faith's outer, you know, it's an inner affair, faith. But it has an outward expression. What is the outward expression of faith? That is sharanagati, surrender. Therefore, Krishna says, Sarva Dharman Puritya Mami Kam Sharanam Braja. This is in Gita. Conclusion of the Gita is the beginning of bhakti. He told Arjuna, just become, think of me, become my devotee, worship me, and uh, I promise you, I'll, I'll bring you to me. Having said that, then, Krishna says, Sarva Dharman Puritya, so this is how you do it, how you become my devotee. You become a Sharanagata. And he says, Sarva Dharman Puritya. He's describing the kind of the uh, marginal characteristics of this sharanagati. Sarva dharman pritya. All dharma reject. We have to play this out a little bit. It's not as obvious for us the significance of this because we don't live in a society where varnashram dharma is the uh, social, socio-religious uh, dynamic that people live by. But at the time that this was spoken, compiled, composed, and so forth, uh, that was the prevailing socio-religious uh, ideology. Varnashram Dharma is a very sophisticated method for engaging human society in such a way as to color all of all human expression in consideration of God, give it a, a religious color to bring marriage, uh, to bring uh, the attraction between the sex in connection with God, to bring childbearing, to bring this, that, and the other thing, eating, whatever it may be. There are thousands and thousands of rules in Varnashram Dharma, how to live your human life, how to sit, how to stand, how to sleep, how to pass stool, and urine, and, and all these things. It appears very restrictive, but there are as many rules, and it is as restrictive 
of a measure as we are overruled by the oppression of the mind and the senses. Now, if you think to the extent to which we are, then you can appreciate the Varnashram, Dharma and all its rules. Sometimes I like to say that, have you ever wanted to do something, but have understood by your intelligence that it's not good for you, but you've done it anyway? So, can you ever remember a time of acting like that? Can you ever remember a time of not acting like that? Would almost be a more accurate way to describe it. More often than not, we know something with our intelligence is not good for us, but we do it anyway. Our good sense, even, is overridden by the force of our conditioning, um, the force of our mind and senses. So, that's the call of the wild, if you will. That's being drawn towards animality and away from humanity, in which the, the power to discriminate and make decisions, to do good voluntarily, to make an act of sacrifice. This is all possible in human society. It's not possible in the less complex forms of life to do something voluntarily, for example, which is at the heart of, of love. You know, if you call your pets for dinner, <laughs> none of them's going to say, excuse me, uh, you first, uh, please pass the dog food. And they're just going to, whoever can get there first. Uh, they're overwhelmed in that condition. Consciousness in that condition is overwhelmed by the demands of the body. Human life means you're coming out from underneath that to some extent. And then the, the instruments that we have to facilitate that, intelligence, for example, when it becomes corrupted and then becomes a servant of facilitating the demands of the senses in the mind, then you have the most dangerous animal in existence, the biggest beast, even more dangerous than the, than the lion, the wild uh, tiger. So, Varnashram Dharma is this it's a very sophisticated system and um, so many rules and so many regulations, it's very burdensome. And what Krishna is saying in the Gita is, forget this system, just forget it, the whole thing. It's just Prityaja, reject it. Sarva Dharman and and just surrender to me. It's almost like saying, sin and come to me, break all these laws. People are breaking the laws, in a sense, by following the demands of their mind and senses and doing things that are not in their interest. If you go against the laws of nature and common sense, then you, you do things that are not in your interest. He's saying, does, forget all those rules, just take shelter of me. So he's saying that bhakti supersedes this. If one can understand and develop shraddha, faith, in Krishna, then he becomes relieved or she becomes relieved of this laborious task of living up to all these rules and regulations and so forth in the Varnashram Dharma. Then he or she follows the guidelines of bhakti, which are all about ways in which to attract the attention of Krishna. There are no real rules in bhakti, in one sense. There are simply ways in which we understand, if I do like that, Krishna's attention will be drawn to me. 
just like a young, if a young girl, let's say, has a crush on a young boy, and she knows that young boy likes chocolates, and every day I pass him on the on the way to school or something. So that day she she packs some chocolates in her bag, and when she bumps into him and says hello. She mentions that she happens to have some chocolates, and so, <laughs> and so it's a little calculated. But uh, but for what purpose? It's for fostering love and attracting. So we do different things to attract Krishna's attention, which we see. We dress, for example, like a devotee. We may not be a devotee, but we dress like one. Because oh, Krishna will recognize me in the temple. He'll recognize me. Oh, he's wearing the tilak. That's means he he sees himself or she sees herself as my devotee. So get some special uh, attention. So at any rate, uh, this is what Krishna is saying in the Gita. He says, if after all what I've, all I've said to you, now you understand, then become my devotee. And this is how you do it. Forget all this other stuff. This is a path unto itself in which all that can be accomplished by Varnashram and more will be accomplished and with more ease. Indeed, he says in Bhagavatam, it is mentioned in the context of explaining what is the best occupation for human society. In a number of verses there that come, I cited one. Amongst those verses, it is also said that, indeed, if one follows the Varnashram system perfectly, but doesn't develop attraction for Krishna, Shram Evahi Kevalam, life is wasted. Strong, strong language. So, at any rate, the point here is that what the charnagati or the surrender is the outward expression of shraddha, which enables us to tread the path of bhakti. It means that, that to give it a more contemporary kind of explanation, because again, we're not living in a society where the socio-religious dynamic is is varnashram. That any other pursuit towards bettering oneself or enlightenment falls short in comparison to, to bhakti, this sense. Now, we may do other things we feel are important, but the idea of shuddha bhakti, pure devotion, is that we don't think that our bhakti and our spiritual progress is dependent upon them. So the idea is this, something like this, that over time, as the sadhaka, the practitioner, is engaged in bhakti, the heart of it is this sharanagati, this spirit of surrender. What happens is this, the spirit of surrender becomes the, the dominant force. It's the hub of the wheel of, around which is life of devotion, spiritual practice, rotates, orbits. And the other things that he or she does, owing to the situation that he or she is in, like marital obligations, uh, which include obligations to children, and then you need to have a, a livelihood, so some work will be there, and so forth, and so on. All these things become just automatic, kind of like habit, without having to give thought to them. In other words, one's thoughts are all raging in another direction in terms of loving Krishna. The person's fun 
for example, which is what life's really about. You, you do everything for fun. You, know, you do it so that you can have fun. And so their fun is to serve Krishna. So everyone has fun money, let's say, disposable income, they, they call it now. So he or she wants to spend all disposable income on, on serving Krishna, serving the Vaishnava. That's what his, their joy is. That's what their happiness is. You follow? And the other thing that is kind of going on, kind of automatic. In the beginning, it's a little bit, it's reversed. It's kind of like, like music. It's like this Krishna consciousness is kind of background music, and everything else is important to us. But in time, everything else, it goes on, but it's like just the background music. You're not giving any thought to it. And what's in the foreground is uh, this uh, consciousness, the thinking of, of Krishna and the, and the pursuit, the desire to, uh, is what I'm, what I'm living for. I'm living for that. I may be doing other things, apparently, but I'm living for that. To the, to the extent that I'm actually living for that, so many other things can go on. You don't, we will not be implicated in any way. You've been karma by that. So it's a very interesting uh, concept. So the idea is to be a sharanagata, this is faith. That gives, allows us to tread the path. And as we progress on the path, the sharanagati becomes fully established. It is, if you will, the stage on which the drama of Krishna Bhakti is performed, on which the drama of Krishna Leela, the, the divine play of Krishna, is performed. So this stage of sharanagati that has to be established in the heart. Then you can say, coming soon, you know, to a theater near you, that Krishna Leela will, will appear in my heart. Only when it's pure. And Ruchi, this is the stage when Bhakti becomes not only uninterrupted by desire, overridden by desire. We do something unbecoming. And then we re have remorse for that. And then we go on with our bhakti, and then we, we, we slip or something like that. That is the one stage. But when we come to uninterrupted bhakti, it means the principal desires which would have interrupted it have been eradicated. There's still something there. Like I said last night, the fire's out, but the smoke is still lingering. But it doesn't get in the way of the practice. So the practice is uninterrupted. The smoke is dispersed, and bhakti becomes not only uninterrupted, but unmotivated. There's no other... There's no other desire that's getting in the way of my bhakti. And this means the stage of sharanagati, of surrender, is established in the heart. And so from the world, if you will, of faith, the land of faith, we live in the land of doubt, no doubt. We're always proceeding with some, some caution. We have some question. When you're really happy and fulfilled completely, you have no doubt then what, about what you're doing. It's making you fully happy. We're doubting here. We're not moving like uh, the, the homeland is in the heart. There in the homeland of the heart, oh, then the movement is free. Just like if you go, like, like now, for example, you're here in a foreign country. Not too foreign. The United States, not too foreign from England. But, but uh, still some things are a little different and so forth. So you kind of have to be a little, wonder how things work and and so on. It's not as easy, you can't move as freely as when you're home in Great Britain. So we're kind of in a foreign domain, if you will. We're like a fish 
out of water, so we're kind of proceeding with, with caution. We have doubt, reservation. Suspicion leads to suspension. So we're suspicious, we're doubtful, we can't move freely and spontaneously like in the way in which we sense in our heart life must ultimately be about. That's why sometimes we reject the idea of a religious institution and and rules and so forth because we sense life is about the spiritual life especially ultimate reality must be free and spontaneous and so forth. But we don't understand that in rejecting the rules of the road, for example, you, if you want to drive freely, that may inhibit you from driving freely. There may be an accident. So just running according to the, the demands of the mind may look like spontaneous, spontaneous and free life, but it's not. <laughs> so to come out of that, and then on the other side, actually the soul is actually free from the oppression of the mind and can run and be at home. So this um, this is the idea of uh, unalloyed bhakti, free bhakti, is like being at home, beyond doubt. So there's a world, it means, of faith, a land, the planets of faith, Sridhar Marsh once described it, planets of faith. This is the planets of doubt, suspicion, suspension, we're suspended to something. So when this stage is reached, we call it ruchi, it means taste. What previously was medicine, chant 16 rounds, it's like medicine, has now become food. You understand? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the example is given that if you have jaundice, then sugar cane will taste bitter. Eating sugar cane will cure the jaundice. So the, the cane was always sweet, but because of your condition, you couldn't taste it. So it was medicine. But as you taste the medicine and you actually become cured, then you, you can taste the sweetness that was always there in the cane. So this bhakti, this chanting, it's a sweet thing. You can understand it theoretically. Singing, dancing, chanting. <laughs> it's, it's charming, it's easy, it's sweet, but sometimes it's a little, we approach it as if it must be done, it's rule and so forth, and it's a little bit like medicine for us. That's only owing to our present condition, but as the condition of our ignorance is transformed, is changed into knowledge, realization, and so forth, then when we reach this stage, ruchi, ruchi means taste, then the taste that's inherently there in the practices of bhakti, in hearing and chanting, remembering Krishna, which are the primary practices, the taste that's there in them, uh, it becomes apparent to us and we become attached to those practices. What's happening in this stage is that, this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is saying here, Shreya Kairava Chandrika Vacharanam, that you entered based on faith and you expressed your faith by surrender, sharanagati, exclusive devotion to Krishna. You're cultivating that idea. Now, when you come to Ruchi, that faith is mature, that sharanagati is mature, that stage for the drama of bhakti is, is established in the heart. So you're in touch 
with that land of faith. There's some direct contact. So Shreya Kairava Chandrika, it means, Kairava means lotus, it's the Kumuda, the white lotus. So it means, there's a red lotus too. It means the white, it means the heart is, it's compared like this, it's pure. It's not colored by, by passion for the world. And by the moonbeams, this is, this poetry says, Shreya Kairava Chandrika, Chandrika means moonbeam beam of light from the moon of Krishna. Krishna is compared to the moon, Krishna Chandra. This chanting of his name, which is, his name is not different from him, the light, the moon, like moonlight is soothing in the night and cooling. And when moonlight shines, all the stars, you can't see them very well. And the full moon is out. So other prospects and all, they've all been blackened by the brightness in the darkness of our night, whether by the fullness of the moon, and the heart is starting to, to blossom in love of Krishna. One is now a Shuddha Bhakta. His Bhakti is pure. It has no material desire. And as I say, the medicine has become the food. He's living on this, hearing and chanting, satisfied with this alone. And these uh, moonbeams, it means we are a shakti of Bhagwan, a power, an energy of God. We call it jiva shakti or tatasta shakti. Tatasta means, it literally means the beach. Or that place on the beach that demarks the land from the water. If you were to look from up above, you would see there's a line that demarks water from land, water from the sand. You go down to the river here and you see there's a line. But now try to put your finger on it. You see? So it's difficult to put your finger on what we are. We are like that line. And very much it means to say that we are a product of our environment. If we associate with matter, we become like matter. We become atrophied. We become like ice. What is ice? And what can you do with ice? Yeah, you can cool water. Now, what can you do with water? What can you do with water in comparison to what you can do with ice? The possibilities are unlimited, right? And unless you melt the ice, then the full potential of it can't be really... So we're like, in our natural position, we're like water. In our present condition, we're like ice. As a result of associating with Maya, or the material energy. Now, we have the Maya Shakti, we have the Tatasta Shakti, and then there's the uh, Swarup Shakti. So, Maya Shakti means material energy. We associate with that, we become like ice. We associate with Bhakti, which is a manifestation of Swarup Shakti, another Shakti, the spiritual, internal Shakti of Bhagwan. Material world is the outward outside energy. We're the in-between energy. Sarup Shakti is the internal energy. You associate with that, you become like water. What possibilities there are for you then? We can't even imagine what is the possibility of the, of the Jeev Shakti, the Tatasta Shakti. When it's consumed by, caught up like we are by the material energy, by the Sarup Shakti. So this, in this state, this is beginning to happen. 
semblance of that surup shakti is coming in the heart, not the full experience. That will happen in, in two successive stages from this, but it's beginning to happen. And therefore it's described like this, Shreya Kairalva Chandrika. Shreya means auspicious. This is a real auspiciousness. In the previous stage, we experienced one aspect of bhakti which is called Kleshagni. That was Baba Mahadavagni. The forest fire of material existence was extinguished. The fire was put out. It means Kleshagni. Kleshagni means Klesha. Suffering is ended. The basis of suffering is ignorance. When all action is informed by some knowledge, if our action is informed by ignorance, then what will be the result? Life will be problematic. So the karmic bondage, so to speak, is so much suffering. This is practically ended in the karmic influence. Ended for all intents and purposes. It cannot affect one's bhakti. This is kleshagni. Now the second effect is coming in this next stage in Ruchi. It's called Shubhada. Shubhada means Shreya. It means the same thing the word Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is used here. Auspiciousness. So auspiciousness, the, the devotee's life becomes auspicious. It's kind of a fourfold auspicious. He becomes pleasing, popular, qualified, and happy. His presence pleases all people. It draws affection from people, naturally. All good qualities manifest in him. And he becomes happy in the life of, of hearing and chanting only. Shreya means, as I say, auspiciousness. This ruchi begin, marks the beginning of really auspicious life. You started here at one end of the bottom of the mountain. You want to go to the top and down the other side into the valley of love. So... This nishta, the previous stage, you kind of got you got to the top. It was hard to get there. It's like you have to get out of the bottom in a yoga context chakras. Everybody's hovering there and talking yoga, this that other thing, but staying there, right? To come up above that. This is in bhakti terms. This is, means nishta. You reach the top of the mountain, and then it's all downhill from there. You can see the valley. You, previously you were hearing about it. <laughs> it's theoretical. You see it kind of in the lives of others who are up above you calling, it's, it's there, it's there. But now you reach the top and you're looking down. And going start, you start to go down, that is the ruchi. In other words, there's no effort to the progress now. You understand? Previously, there was some effort. It was like medicine. Now it's like food. You go down the hill so easily. So therefore, we should have an interim focus because it's a long haul we're talking about here. The interim focus should be to get to the top of the mountain. Then we can really understand, start to understand what's on the other side. We can understand it theoretically enough to get impetus to make the climb but what it really is, how good it is, how wonderful it is. At Nishti you can begin to see that. And then as Ruchi comes, this next stage we're talking about, as I say, it's all downhill, he's running, tumbling, flying, jumping down the hill. Easy. So Shreya Kairabha Chandrika Patadam, Mahaprabhu describes it in this way. 
Vistraya means auspiciousness. He's talking about what? The method to his madness, this kirtan, of the, this chanting of the name of Krishna. He describes it, this stage is auspicious. It is named Nam Shrestam. That means Shreya, Shrestam, same thing. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is given the most, um, highest uh, conception of the name. He has emphasized the name of Krishna for a particular reason. There are different names of God. They all have efficacy. The Krishna name for a particular reason. And within that, people would chant for Krishna Nam for different reasons. He's given the highest idea what, what you can get from that. What should be your ideal? Nam Shrestam. Uh, he said, famous verse, Madhura Maduram Etan Mangalam Mangalanam about Krishna Nam. It is sweet, sweetest of the sweet, most auspicious amongst things that are auspicious. So this auspicious life of Nam Dharma is starting to, to blossom. It's not yet bearing fruit in this stage, but blossoms are coming. What happens when you see the blossom on the tree? Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? The scent, and, and it looks very beautiful. And you know, fruits will be coming soon. Fruits are definitely, it's reached the stage of blossoming. Fruits will surely come. Before the blossoms come, you might wonder, will the fruits ever come? Once the blossoms come, you know. So again, this is Shruta Bhakti. This is a wonderful thing because it means to us that what could be accomplished by other paths, by factoring some bhakti in, cleansing of the heart, liberation from karma, ending of the karmic bondage entirely, this is accomplished through this chanting, but it doesn't end there. Other paths will end there. Finish. This gives something to do in enlightenment. Progression within enlightenment. It's an interesting idea. So there are several stages still to come. He's already enlightened. He has no desire, which is the whole basis of the bondage. Attachment is what's keeping us in this plane of experience. It's gone. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said in relation to this stage, what? Nadam, Najanam, Nasundurim, Kavitamba, Jagadishakamaya. I don't have any interest in, in the world. Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundurim. Not wealth, not, not the opposite sex or, or desire for relationship. No, I have no interest in any of these things. Mama Janmani, Janmanishwade. I don't even care about liberation. I'm not interested in being liberated. I don't see the world as a problem anymore. I only want bhakti. At this stage, we've come out from underneath in terms of our religious or spiritual orientation, the jurisdiction of the Paramatma, the, the, the aspect of God that presides over the world, the world of desires. That's not Krishna. Krishna is dancing in Leela with Radha, herding cows with the gopas and so forth. This stage is about crossing over, coming out from under the jurisdiction of the aspect of God that oversees the world of desires. And now, desire, real desire, is developing. It is the basis of one's love life with God, is, is developing. Desire to love Him in a particular way, it's just starting to come. 
So, both are mentioned in Mahaprabhu's verse. He says, Mama Janmani Janmanishware Bhavatat Bhakti Rahoitakitwe Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kabitam Bad Jagadishwar. In the first part of the verse, he's talking about the Paramatma and he's bidding him farewell. Second part of the verse, he says, Because I have none of those desires, I have desire only for Bhakti. Mama Janmani Janmanishware Bhavatat Bhakti. This Ishwar, the second Ishwar, is Pranishwar. The Lord of his life, the Paramatma has been displaced from his heart. And Sham Sundar, Yam Sham Sundar, Achintya Guna Swarupam, Premanjana Charita, Bhakti Vilochanena, Krishna is appearing in the heart. His Ishta, Ishta Devata, appearing in the heart. So, there's a very high stage, third stage, third effect only of the chanting. Nice idea. Yes. So, when we have desires, we can dovetail those desires, can we not? Mm-hmm. You can. Right. We are our desires. That's what we are, materially speaking. We are a bundle of desires. You're a mother because you want to have a son or a daughter. You're attached to your daughter. So you're a mother, and you're also a daughter, because you're attached to your mother. <laughs> so this attachment, desire, it makes up our identity. We are our desires. So in bhakti, what happens is two things. The identity based on material desire is unraveled, because desire to serve Krishna becomes predominant. And Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna comes in the heart. The heart is like a, like a marketplace, let's say. And so many people have set up shop in there. Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. All my desires, they're all speaking loud. Only, te- only discount over here, <laughs> discount over here. Busy, busy, busy. So many things going on there. And we're listening to this desire, that desire. And this desire is being fostered, and that one, and so forth. And, and new shops are opening all the time, also. There are seeds that haven't yet manifest. They start to manifest. A new shop. Let's go there. These are seeds that have been sown in the past in the realm of karma. Now they're coming to bear fruit. So the shop's open. I've got to go there. So shopping is what we're doing. We're shoppers, consumers. You see? And now, by the grace of Guru Parampara, the connection with the Guru, the succession of Gurus, through which this Krishna name comes, Krishna set up shop in the heart. He's gone in the heart. And what he's doing there is putting everyone out of business. That's what he's doing. He's putting everyone out of business. This is Krishna. He's God, but he's come as a sweeper. He's entered the heart like a sweeper. Sweeping everybody else out. All of the desires. You can't compete with him. So they say in English, if you can't beat him, join him. So, this is the one side. He's closing down all the other shops. Because why? What he's offering is cheaper and better. This is the idea of bhakti. It's free. Take it. There's a story of the guru and disciple. And the disciple was living with the guru. 
And then the guru went away to travel. The disciple was without him for some time. And one thing led to another. And after a decade, he found himself married, family, children, all kinds of attachments. And his, his ability to apply himself in the practices was limited to other interests and so forth. And Guruji came back after 10 years and there there was his student all entangled in so many things. And said, oh Guruji, I'm so happy to see you and please uh, take a seat and give me some water and uh, and so forth. And Guruji began to speak the same things he used to speak. He said, yes, that's what I remember. He said, why don't you come with me? I cannot come now. I so many things are holding me back. I mean, I have all these other obligations and so forth. He said, okay, no problem. He said, I'll go to the river and take baths and then we could talk again. So Guruji went and took a bath in the river. And then he called, after a little while, the disciple heard him calling, help, help, help. And so he came running and the Guru was holding onto a, a branch in the water. He said, help, I can't get out, I can't get out. The disciple said, what do you mean? He said, I can't get out, I can't get out. This branch is holding me. The disciple said, well, just let go, let go of the branch. The branch isn't holding you, you're holding the branch. Oh, he said, oh, oh yeah. He let go. Then the disciple could understand, oh, nothing's holding me back but me. <laughs> Sounds simple, and it is, but... So, all these desires holding us back. The Krishna coming to... And, they, and they're hard. They're hard to pursue. They're, they're expensive. And, and what do you get? What's the commodity? You work hard to fulfill this particular desire to get it, you get it, and it doesn't turn out to be what you hoped it would be. That beautiful guy that you went after turned into a couch potato, you know? and uh, just transformed right right in front of you or whatever it may be. You buy it today and then it broke down and you just have credit card bill to pay. So, whatever you pursue, the desire to pursue, the fulfillment of it is, is not fulfilling. It's like an appetizer. You never get the full meal. You think it's going to be fulfilled, but you just get indigestion. So the product is better. That is bhakti. It is when you do it Actually, when you're actually engaged in bhakti, there's no greater happiness. So there's no interest in doing anything else. So anyway, this first beginning is cleansing these desires. And bhakti, in this regard, is user-friendly. It's a user-friendly path. So, like you said, it allows you to dovetail the desires. We don't tell you, look, the problem is in your mind, you're just thinking. All these desires are appearing in your mind and you're entertaining them. So stop thinking. That's the path. So go home and stop thinking. Mars. Not so easy to go home and stop thinking. It's impossible. Yeah. So it is. It is impossible. So bhakti is a user-friendly path. That means you have desires, but you, you apply them in this way in relation to Krishna bhakti. I mean, human life is about eating. It's about relationships, sex, basically. These are the main things. Sleeping, protecting yourself. So you need your house. You need a relationship. You need food. You know, a house over your head and so forth. 
So bhakti allows you to do all these things. There's no restriction. Some restriction. Sex life should be restricted in some way. Everybody agrees to that. That's universally accepted. Everybody just draws the line in a different place. But everybody draws the line somewhere. That's why people in the supermarket don't just jump on you because they feel the urge. (laughs) (laughs) But animals, they don't. The dogs don't, you know, think like that. We all agree that this should be restricted at some level. So at what level? That's all. And so what level will be the level at which will be productive in terms of, will be conducive, will foster spiritual life? Hmm? And it may be a little different for different people. And so the guru draws the line there. He gives a guideline. And eating, you can eat. You can even shop for Krishna. You can build a nice house and so forth for Krishna. So it's user-friendly. And what happens is gradually then, I wanted a really nice house for Krishna. (laughs) (laughs) But you did it anyway. And you used it for Krishna. And you got to live in it too. And so after a while, the love for Krishna becomes prominent. And the desire for the house becomes diminished. So it's user-friendly in this this way. Yeah. The one thing I've noticed in you know, the occupation I've expected for so many years as an astrologer, and I've, I've seen <clears throat> that where, where I mean, especially in our experience with this kind of devotees and, and Prabhupada, his Shakti was almost like smash, you know, to wake up and shatter, you know, so much of the delusion. Mm-hmm. But still that karma was present, you know, mm-hmm. in many of the disciples that the karma, and so that when Guru left you know, the planet, and also I, I would have to say that the natural immaturity as well, but that, that there's also that karmic factor. You know, that, that how does that that work? So even though Guru has come and the disciple is is making his his best efforts. And the Guru himself is not there. It's like the, that wave almost that the disciple was able to ride on. And it seemed that so few souls, actually without the Guru, were able to continue walking through youthful, wild with youthful bodies, was just saying, with, with, with so many desires, but actually able to, to fully remain cognizant. Yet then with age, it's <laughs> with some age, and as the desires are quelling down, then it... it the attraction, or that some somehow, just one day, all of a sudden, it stops becoming a, a chore, and like you said, the medicine becomes food. But my question is that that line of karma that is so hard to really understand in its essence. That although a person may try and they gain the realization that that everything you're saying here is true, and that that, that every everything is true, but somehow. So many inside work were unable to to stay on the path. Yeah, because it's a gradual path, and they need association. So, therefore, Sridhar Marsh once told me after Prabhupada passed away, I came under his shelter. He said, "You have three options in the absence of your guru. One, to become a guru. That's not so easy." Mm-hmm. Two, to serve someone who has become, to assist someone who has taken that service. Three, to get out of the way 
at least. At least let the thing go on. Nowadays, people can't even get out of the way. What to speak of the second option or the first option. So nothing's changed. You needed association. You still need association. And in that association, what happens is, you see, at a certain point, you can get more from the association than you can from your practice. You can practice all year, and you get association of a sadhu for one week of the year, and you, and you get more enthusiastic, more understanding, than, than you did the whole year. So, until you, you have developed, progressed to the point that you become really good association, like this, Shubhada, your life becomes auspicious, then you really need good, good company. We seek it always. Even the greatest devotees are seeking that. Hmm? Good company. But especially in earlier stages. So in our situation, for example, disciples of Prabhupada, they had Prabhupada's association that was very powerful. And so it was carrying them. It was suspending, in a sense, their karma. The practices will also do so. But if one has not reached the stage of Nishta Bhajana Kriya, or Ruchi, then they'll get in the way, it'll be interrupted. And if a person has integrity, honesty, and sincerity, you recognize it and seek good good association. Just like you said, oh, it's good to be in good association. So you, you recognize the need for that. And even reading the book and so forth. Not everybody can read the book and understand what's really being said and explain it and the implications of it and so forth. So, Sadhu Sangha is so important. That's what they need. They were enthused in that company, and the karma is kind of suspended. But in the absence of it, their capacity to apply themselves, apply the instructions, is, is it's said that the guru has two aspects, the vani and the vapu. So the vapu means the personal presence, and vani means the instructions. The instructions are said to be more important than the personal association, because that's what he teaches in his personal association follow the practice. But it doesn't necessarily mean that following the instructions is easy to do in all instances and without his or her association. If you can follow them nicely, then you can have the association in the instructions. I mean, I'm present in my advice if you can follow it. <laughs> if you can't follow it, then I'm not going to be present there that much. You understand? And so you feel some lacking. So the Vapu, personal association, is also very important. So we should try to get as much as possible of such. That will increase our capacity to practice. That's the theory. And then when practice becomes such that we can feel the presence, then it will become good association. You follow? Maharaj? Yes. Uh, I have a question on. Uh, on yoga trance, not too much office. On yoga. On yoga trance, and the Srila Prabhupada he talks about getting into a state of yoga trance. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering how one can best get into that state of consciousness. And mm-hmm. does it help you to practice bhakti yoga? Now, trance means samadhi. And there's a progression in meditation from smarnam, simple remembrance, to dharnam, 
avoidance, conscious withdrawing from other attention centers and focusing it on one, on Krishna. Then comes Dhyan, actual meditation. Then Dhruvanusmriti. Dhruvanusmriti means remembrance that is constant. And then Samadhi, trance. So you don't just sit down and, and do trance. Yes. It's a progression. Kirtana prabhavi smarana sobhavi. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur taught like this about meditation, about smaranam. Kirtan fosters meditation. Kirtan fosters actual meditation. Spontaneous meditation. Because what is meditation? It's arresting the mind. And the senses are arrested. And they can't go elsewhere. Bhagavatam is speaking about this when it says, Desire to hear the Bhagavatam arrests Krishna in the heart. It means one becomes completely focused on Krishna in the heart by, just by desire to read Bhagavatam. What is the Bhagavatam? And what's, what's the subject there? It's a whole big, big topic. But anyway, this kirtan, which is the advocacy of Bhagavatam, the practice recommended this, and kirtanam, from beginning to end is recommending this Namsan Kirtan. This has great power to arrest the mind and the senses and bring about trance. So this is how you go about entering the trance, by Kirtanam. It will bring about trance automatically without a separate effort for trance. Through Kirtan alone you will enter into trance. If you do it properly, long enough, Kirtana Prabhavi Smarana Svabhavi. By the power of Kirtan, we will we will enter into into samadhi. Alright, so we stop there. Sri Krishna Sankirtan Ki Jai.